Hello everyone, it's Christine, your host for the Rose Woman podcast. Today I am recording from our farm in Hawaii, Sundari, and it is so magnificent. I arrived on Sunday and I was in a really icky spot, like my energy was congested, I'd been traveling a lot, there was a lot of family stuff happening in August, and I decided to do a reset. So on the way back from the airport, I dropped in at the Liquid Life in Kiao and picked up three days of juice and called my friend Irene and made a clonic appointment and got here and just began, like began really doubling down on my practices. Kundalini Tantra offers a lot of practices for clearing the energy. And that means breath work, pranayama, control of the muscles of the pelvic basin, really beautiful meditations, as well as the general yoga practice. And then, of course, here, because the place is really built for energetic and mental hygiene. I used to say healing, but I don't think there is such a thing as healing. You get healed and then you're done. My teacher Thomas says we're walking forever, but clearing energy, keeping your thoughts out, you know, light and unobstructed, expressing your withholds, all of those things, as well as like moving energy through the body physically is more of a daily practice, like like brushing your teeth. So at Sundari, we built a pool, spa, whirlpool for the people who live here, including an ice plunge. And so it's really easy to wake up before the sun and get into the hot water and then get into the ice freezing water and get into the hot water, get into the freezing water and create sort of lymphatic pumping. It's really easy to sit in a deep meditation position and drop right in with the birds and the rustling of the palm trees in the wind and just so exquisite and and there's not a lot of wi-fi and there are no sirens and you know occasionally i'll hear an airplane overhead or a generator will go off somewhere in the neighborhood but it's a really still place to get very tuned into the body and and there's also not a lot of demands in the morning so in the morning before everybody wakes up and you know the texts start coming and the emails start coming and the shared collaborations, creative projects, work commitments come in, there's this beautiful spot to really do my own energetic hygiene. So I've been working with um, a whole bunch of practices that are meant to really run stronger energy in my body and prepare me for a better relationship with my beloved and to be in more of conscious, unified connection. Kundalini Tantra is first and foremost a practice for your own well-being to connect to your deepest spiritual essence, to clean your energy, to enliven your life, to live your life fully. But of course, once you've got that, and then if you have a partner who's committed to it, it's even more amazing, then you can run energy together. And it's incredibly intimate. So in today's show, what I'm going to talk about is Kundalini Tantra, a sexual energy and spiritual union in pretty good detail. Like, I think I name a lot of anatomy, uh, a a lot of uh, different muscles in the pelvic basin. And I talk a lot about, you know, exactly how to do some of these techniques. So I want to add a little bit of a caveat, which is that it's much easier to do these with a good teacher, like go to someone in person who can coach you 
Don't try to rush it. I also reference a couple of really good books like Cindy Dale's Encyclopedia of the Subtle Body and a, a book on Kundalini Tantra that is considered a classic by a Swami. Those are in the show notes. And I think it really helps to have those as a basis. So here we go, a journey into Kundalini. Kundalini, that word for yoga and spiritual people can conjure a myriad of images and feelings and interpretations. It's a cornerstone of many spiritual teachings, uh, yogic teachings, how you master this energy in your physical body, and it's garnered a lot of attention throughout history. But what is it? Uh, first, I want you to imagine that ubiquitous chakra system that you see you know, in new age shops and in yoga studios and holistic practitioners and on greeting cards now and on journal covers of uh, the dots along the spine with different colors and shapes associated with them. It's cool, those are metaphorical in a lot of ways, but they're also highly literal. Those chakra points are sit on the spine over the junction boxes of a lot of nerve plexi, nerve groupings. For example, the Anahata chakra, the heart chakra, sits on the spine right behind the heart and the lungs, and the nerve endings there feed the heart and the lungs. So they're not just conceptual. And if your spine is kinked, you know, sometimes that, that can lead to a congestion of where the nerve endings, uh, whether they flow freely out into the rest of the torso at that level. So it's not just imaginary. So we want to have free-flowing energy moving up and down through our bodies and out to our skin and into the core of us and out the crown and into the earth to feel deeply connected and alive. And, and Kundalini is part of that. Kundalini Tantra, the practices that help us cultivate and awaken the Kundalini, keep it flowing, is uh, one of my love practices. So um, that's that's what we're going to dive into now. I want you to imagine a coiled serpent. It's often called serpent power, kundalini, resting dormant at the base of your spine. So all the way down the tailbone to the coccyx, way down there, there's a coiled serpent side of sitting in a nest. And as you go deeper into your spiritual practices, the serpent is believed to stir, to uncoil, to awaken, and then begin its ascent. That's why kundalini is often termed the serpent power. And as it rises through the central channel, which is known as the shashumna, kind of corresponds to the spine, it touches each of these chakras, activating and illuminating them. And this visual of the serpent's awakening is both beautiful and profound. It kind of encapsulates the transformative power of this work. But you can envision the energy in other ways also. Each of the chakras, for example, is spoken of as a lotus bud, and the lotus bud is closed until kundalini is awakened, and then it blooms. And so kundalini rising and coming through each of these chakras helps them bloom like a lotus, revealing the vibrancy and potency and symbolizing the unfolding or the integration of spiritual consciousness into that part of the body. People have also likened kundalini to a divine flame, uh, energy that seeks the heavens and purifies and enlightens as it moves upwards. However, I will say 
that uh, that is just one view. Most Kundalini Tantra traditions teach Kundalini rising, but Kundalini also descends. It comes from the field of, in goddess traditions, it comes down through the crown, hits the third eye, immerses into the body. And so you're in more of a spanda of the Kundalini rising out of you and then descending back down into you, almost like the inhale and exhale of an energetic creation. So beyond this cleansing and purifying aspect, um, Kundalini also represents the union of the masculine and feminine aspects of divinity. I'm not talking the male and female. I'm talking about strength and receptivity. I'm talking about Shiva, the energy of consciousness, unmanifest, just like the vessel into which all things are made manifest, and Shakti, the feminine or all of material creation. And when you're doing Kundalini practices, in your body, you're moving energy in your body, then you are also integrating the material reality of your being a born person with the intangible, immaterial, energetic reality that you are living and breathing in a constantly connected world that incorporates the spiritual and the intangible parts of life. So this entire process, uh, awakening your kundalini, going from dormant to fully awake, is a deeply personal quest. It goes at all kinds of different paces. Some people hike a mountain slowly, dive down into the depths of the ocean, and others kind of stay shallow. And that's cool. You do you. It's not a linear path. You know, there are times when I'm in my practice and I'm high as a kite from breathing and moving energy. There's times when my lovemaking is exquisite and perfect because it's energetic um, in addition to physical. And then there are other times when, you know what, it's flat. It's just body parts or I'm just going through the motions. So I don't expect to the fruit of this to be a constantly enlightened state. I just know that it's available to me if I want to intensify the practices or you know, that it's a reference point for how life can be. So in the ancient texts, I'm going to do a little yoga geeking out here, okay? Um, in the ancient texts, Kundalini is, is depicted in many different documents. The Hatha Yoga Pradipika speaks of its awakening through pranayama. The Yoga Kundalini Upanishad talks about the great serpent also. Abhinava Gupta's Tantra Loka describes the moment when Kundalini shakes herself awake, leading to total mental tranquility. And even Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, the Shiva Samhita, the Srimad Bhagavatam, they all create vivid imageries of this profound spiritual awakening. And one of the most intriguing and evocative descriptions that I like is the one related to Kundalini's power to devour time. That's such a beautiful phrase. It, it implies a transcendence of our ordinary perception. It's an immersion into timelessness where the linear progression of seconds, minutes, and hours melts away, leaving the practitioner in a vast expanse of the eternal now. It also speaks to the dissolution of the ego, the devouring of time and the ego are tied insofar as the ego often attaches itself to the past, the present, and the future. The devouring of time also speaks to the dissolution of the ego, which often attaches itself to the past and the future. As Kundalini rises, this egoic attachment weakens, allowing one to be in the present, unified with the vastness of the universe. So in essence, Kundalini is a really multifaceted thing, serpent, flame, blooming lotus, dance of energy, all of those things. It transcends, helps us touch the eternal, and really 
access this boundless nature of existence. And Kundalini Tantra, in particular, provides some potent practices for awakening and guiding this energy. So we'll talk a little bit about those practices now. And I want to also point us to where we're going today, to Neo Tantra, with its focus on an intricate tapestry of sensuality and spirituality, and how it leverages Kundalini to embrace the intertwined elements within the sexual experience, and seeing the human body and human sexuality as a temple not only of pleasure but of spiritual growth. The neo-tantric approach associates uh, this kundalini with a very indwelled experience of the body. I think if you're going to start and you don't have a lot of exposure to this, you might want to look up, as I mentioned in the introduction, Cindy Dale's The Subtle Body, an encyclopedia of your energetic anatomy which illustrates the complex energy bodies in a visual and comprehensive way. It has chakras, it has energy centers, it has like the aura layers around you, and the visuals make it more accessible to someone who's curious, and also everyone likes a good picture book, I think. Satyananda Saraswati uh, wrote Kundalini Tantra, and that one is an invaluable how-to, offering very profound insights into how to awaken the energy. Okay, so how do we do it? How do we do it? I was talking to you in the beginning about meditation. I don't think that there's any substitute for meditation um, in our lives. You can do exercises and run as a meditation and dance as a meditation and row as a meditation. But in terms of actually coming into deep and subtle perception of your embodiment, like how the veins flow, how the energy and the, and the nervous system alights, how your breath moves through your body, how you digest, how your thoughts move, that really only comes through stillness, through sitting quietly and deeply, deeply noticing and feeling. So you have to get to a point to trust what you feel as the truth, to trust your own body and your direct experience. There are many places in the world where the world seems to want to keep us distracted from feeling that because a person who deeply feels their own body trusts their own choices, trusts their own experience, and that's not a very controllable person. So when we're talking about meditation, we're becoming attuned to the rhythm of the breath. The breath work itself, the pranayama, that is literally breath work, as it's said in English, prana is energy. It's the practicing of moving energy through the breath. And there, there'll be an experience, I'm sure, as you're doing a pranayama. That one's a, that one's a, a bellows breath where you're like flap, really moving the belly. You move that energy up and you watch like old emotions that are in the tissues will release themselves. Like it really helps clear out whatever is stuck in us. And breath work, there's a little aside. Try the holotropic breath work of Stanislav Grof. Uh, Grof is in his 80s now, and he is a pioneer in accessing altered states of consciousness through breath work. Or look up quantum light breath, Richard Bach's work, and try some of those practices. You can get them online. Maybe go to a workshop or something and lay on the floor and do heavy breathing with other people. I mean, I rebirthed myself and I was with my friend Billy and I watched him like beat the floor and like find things in him that he hadn't accessed since he was three. Really incredible. Breathwork's really incredible. Okay, 
But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the cathartic releases. I'm talking about the kind of breath that directs energy in the body, like the alternate nostril breathing I was talking about in the introduction. I'm talking about the kind of breath that slows your heart rate and your nervous system down, like a box breath where you inhale and you hold, and then you exhale and you hold, sometimes to the count of eight or even 16 on each, on each length. So you have to sit. I mean, there's no other way to do it. It's hard in the beginning. In the beginning, like I couldn't sit for three minutes. You know, now like it's, I can't wait to get on the, to get on the cushion. I can't wait to have that solitude. It's delicious. Everything has such subtle flavors. It's like the best nectar. So just start, just begin breathing and noticing and enjoying your body. So meditation A number one, breath work, B number two, you know. So I want to talk now a little bit about the root, the root chakra, the root or the source chakra, mula. So in in Hindu mythology, the goddess Durga is often depicted riding a lion. All of the gods and goddesses have different animals they ride on. It has a lot of layers of symbolism. And that lion is both associated with Dorga's attributes and the broader concepts of spiritual power and transformation. Lion is in general a symbol of courage and strength and ferocity. And Durga riding her lion represents her mastery over these qualities. In the context of Kundalini, the awakened energy that's this powerful force. In the context of Kundalini, the awakened energy, this powerful force that rises within is that lion. She is literally riding on this wild and instinctual creature that represents our primal and animalistic capacities and tendencies. And her ability to control and ride the lion is her ability to tame and leverage these instincts in the context of Kundalini to control and transmute them into fully awake consciousness. And her lion also represents a harmonious balance between that kind of power and compassion. I mean, she's the deep mother goddess, right? And so as you have this process of balancing and harmony of using the power of an awakened spirit responsibly in the world, in the service of love and in the service of kindness. The lion is also depicted as fearless and and bold and this is another one of the outcomes of kundalini it's this arising and awakening sense of fearlessness and inner strength that accompanies knowing who you are so durga's riding her lion and we are going to ride our lion also Uh, we're going to ride the lion at the root of the base of the spine the muladhara chakra so in yoga you'll hear people talk about mulabandha and it's a related concept, but it's not the same. Muladhara chakra is the energy center that is located at the base of the spine. And in men, it's at the perineum. It's right sort of between the testes and the anus, right down there, a little bit up, a little bit up behind the testes inside the body. In women, the muladhara chakra is in the vaginal canal, up behind the cervix, between the back of the cervix and the vaginal wall, and Uh, deeply nested inside of the body so you can access this energetically if you're meditating by feeling the outside of the vagina opening the vaginal opening the introitus feeling that and then as you inhale travel up 
in your mind's eye and feel the inside of the vaginal wall until you reach the back of the cervix and then exhale and go back down and trace it as you go back down. And you'll notice that there's a spot where as you're connecting with it in your mind's eye becomes very tingly. And that is the spot, the seat of Muladhara chakra. So Mulabandha, on the other hand, was called root lock. It's a yogic practice that involves the contraction of the perineum, um, as well as in women, the contraction of the vaginal walls. And that is used to direct and control the flow of energy within the body, particularly the energy that is associated with the muladhara chakra. So there are two other locks. If you've ever done any yoga, the bandhas, the locks, there are two others that are commonly practiced. And the goal of all of them is to stabilize the spine. So the muladhara chakra, I'm sorry, the muladhara bandha stabilizes the uh, bottom part of the spine. So you're pulling the perineum up and toward the tailbone and you're pulling the hips toward one another and you're pulling the front of the belly toward the tailbone and kind of um, creating a deep container. The sides of the hips come in and you get this really nice, strong container to hold the pelvic basin. Uddiyana Bandha or the abdominal lock is at the center of the spine and you take your navel back and you hug the spine and then you pull it up and in toward the diaphragm. That stabilizes the lower back. If you have any lower back problems, doing Mula Bandha and Uddiyana Bandha are an incredible combination to stabilize the lower back. Now, the last lock that is commonly practiced, there are many locks, there's tongue lock, there's a lot of things, but the last one that's commonly practiced in a physical practice of yoga is the lock at the chin, Jalandhara Bandha. And if you put your fist underneath your chin with the uh, hand, the head of the fist in the in the suprasternal notch, right at the sort of where the, the collarbones come together, and then you tilt your chin down to let the bottom of the chin rest on the fist, you'll notice that it lengthens the back of the neck. So it's, it's taking the crimp out of the back of the neck, out of the cervical spine. And so now if you've got the mula bandha pulled up and you've got the abdominal lock and you've got the chin lock, your spine is incredibly long. You could be one of those 1950s girls who are walking around with a book on their head. You could be a ballerina, you know? So it also, by elongating and opening the spine, it leaves room for the energy to move unimpeded. It takes the crimps out so that yes, you've got wonderful electrical impulses going seamlessly from the back of your neck into the throat, uh, from the back of your heart into the lungs, from the back of your digestive organs into all of those organs without any, without any limitation. So these practices are important, but they're not the whole story of the, of the pelvic floor. So if you've had a child or you're friends with someone who's had a child, you're probably um, familiar with the Kegel exercises, which are these sort of squeezy exercises that are meant to tone uh, the pelvic floor. Uh, those exercises are not communicated as clearly as they could be. Um, there's a really great episode from early on with a woman named Anna Judd, who had a company called Kegel, which made yoni eggs as a tool to help you learn how to control various muscles. But there are actually three different sets of muscles down there. There is a muscle set that controls the flow of urine. There is the muscle set that controls the vaginal wall. And there is the muscle set that controls the sphincter. And you can train them independent of one another. 
When we are activating Muladhara chakra, we are working with the vaginal wall and the cervix, which is not the same as working with the flow of urine or working with the sphincter. So this, the muscle sets in the pelvic floor are a complex group of muscles. They, uh, there's the, the PC muscle, the pubococcygeus, there's the iliococcygeus, and there's the ischiococcygeus. And if I said those wrong, I apologize to any doctors out there. And then there's the anal sphincter muscles, and I'm pretty sure I said those right. So the PC muscle runs from the pubic bone to the tailbone, and it surrounds the vagina and the urethra. So it is responsible for controlling the flow of urine and in part for enhancing vaginal tone. The IC is also implicated in that. And then the coccygeus muscle supports the back of the pelvic floor and is involved in maintaining the proper position of the pelvic organs themselves. So it like upholds everything that's resting inside of there. The anal sphincters control uh, the anus and are crucial for maintaining your bowel movement control your your mastery over your bowel movements so for if you're a woman i mean you could do this if you're a man too but i won't be able to speak as directly to the experience but if you're a woman i want you to try this exercise starting at the front of the vulva squeeze the muscles that you would use to stop the flow of urine and then hold those for a few seconds and then release now that experience is like right above the hard bone in the in the pubis in the pubis you lift that in and up and then you squeeze those muscles so you repeat that contraction again and again and you might notice that as you're repeating that contraction that it doesn't just stop the flow of urine but it stimulates the clitoris or the clitoris depending on whether you're a tomato or a tomato person so after you've done that a few times in the first set of muscles move to the middle the vaginal opening So toning the vaginal wall and improving sexual sensation come from working this particular grouping. This is where the yoni eggs are helpful. And and you can do other things that involve weightlifting with with those yoni eggs. I mean, like it's a pretty, there's a bunch of stuff that's available if you really want to get into it. But if you just think about the vaginal opening or the introitus, and you contract the muscles if you're trying to grip something there, like you're trying to hold them. And then I want you to move that gripping internally up the vaginal canal, pulling the walls of the vagina together, and then pulling up toward the cervix. So the entire vaginal canal is like being lifted up and in, and then gradually release those progressively down inch by inch until you reach the introitus again, and then relax. So we're going to do moving the vaginal opening tight, and then moving it all the way up the canal and hold And then we're going to release it down inch by inch. And you're going to do that, I don't know, four or five times at your own pace. And then finally, in the third movement to access the third set of muscles, you're going to go past the perineum to the anus and work with the sphincter, which is also part of the pelvic floor muscle group. And training them involves contracting those muscles as if you're trying to pass gas. So you hold for a few seconds and then you release. You hold for a few seconds and then you release. So by doing these exercises every day, you both gain control over your urination. And if you've had a bunch of kids or if you're going through menopause, that can be an issue. You also get this much greater sensation during sexuality. And on top of it, you are leading to the enlivenment of Muladhara Chakra. Um, Once you get some control, there are some other exercises to do for that, including pumping exercises, 
things that are done in conjunction with breathing that you can get into. And a lot of those are described in Kundalini Tantra. Okay. So whenever you're practicing these exercises, you really want to breathe normally and avoid holding the breath. Like sometimes when I'm concentrating, I notice, oh, I'm just stop breathing for a, re- for a particular period of time. So in this case, breathe normally, avoid holding your breath and focus on isolating those muscles that you're targeting. But don't give yourself a hard time if you can't. When I first started practicing yoga, I couldn't even move my toes and now they move individually because I'm connected to them. And now you can, hey, move your third toe and it moves without the other ones moving. That's a pretty amazing thing. And it's uh, part of the intimacy that we're creating through these energetic practices with our own being. So there are two more things I want to mention. One is the pubic symphysis. It's a joint that's located right at the front of the pelvis where the two pubic bones meet. It's cartilage, really. It's a, it, it provides stability to the pelvis and allows for slight movement like during activities like walking and during activities with more movement like childbirth. So so that can get dislodged, like it can get dislocated a little bit. That might be painful. You might find like a weird creaky ache in your pelvis and not know what it's from. So one of my favorite exercises to do is to lay on my back uh, with my feet flat on the ground, knees bent, and then bring the knees together and put like a block or my hand right between the knees and then squeeze as hard as I can. And in squeezing those together, you'll hear a little pop and the pubic symphysis moves back into position and it feels great. So I want to move now from you've done these practices, you're moving energy, you've got greater control over your pelvic floor, your heart's opening, you've found your voice because when you've activate the throat chakra. You can say what you need to say. Uh, your, your digestion is on point. You're digesting experiences. So your energy's moving. Your kundalini's rising up and down. You're feeling good. You're feeling good. And now you're going to bring these practices to the bedroom and uh, you're going to engage with your beloved in tantric sexuality. And traditional tantric teachings are much broader than sexuality. So I'm going to talk about neo-tantra, a spiritual approach to sexuality, which focuses on connection and consciousness and transformation rather than physical pleasure alone, although there's nothing wrong with physical pleasure alone. In tantra, sexual intimacy is seen as a sacred act that can facilitate profound connections between partners. It's about cultivating an intimate spiritual bond that goes far beyond the physical aspects of sex. These practices emphasize the exchange of energy, and the energy can lead to a heightened sense of awareness and a feeling of merging on multiple levels, like looking to the eyes of your beloved and seeing the cosmic joke. It's very beautiful. Tantric sex encourages partners to be fully present in the moment, focusing on sensation and connection and breathing, and can also involve intentionally delaying orgasm to prolong the experience and to build up energy, which can create more intensity when you finally do release. It also aims to transcend all dualities, including the perceived separation or the enforced separation between spirituality and sexuality, to integrate them so that they're no longer left out of the story. I also think that the conscious practice of tantric principles, especially in intimate relationships, provides a unique space for vulnerability and authenticity. I have to tell you, at this stage in my life, I'm really interested in depth and 
those those there can be profound short-term connections but i am really interested in going deep and really being in the in the bonds that transcend time and space and shed light on the true nature of deep love and connection and even if you don't have a partner tantra does emphasize union between partners the principles can be applied to the relationship with ourselves nurturing self-awareness love and acceptance and breaking down barriers of self-doubt and self-judgment and seeing our own selves as part of the vast cosmic dance always deserving of love and belonging so we've explored some mula bandha we've explored some chakras we've explored some things on tantra so i thought i'd end today with doing a description of the classic posture in tantra called yabyam and how to do that if you are indeed partnered and you want to give it a shot so one partner typically the male or the person with the more masculine energy and perhaps someone who is able to host the weight of the other partner uh, sits cross-legged in a simple cross-legged position and then the other partner typically the female or the more feminine energy partner sits on the first partner's lap with their legs wrapped around the partner's waist you can do this clothed or you can do this naked depending on how far you want to go with it i try it clothed first just to sort of eliminate the sexual confusion while you're working with the energy the two partners embrace with their chakras aligned so you're heart to heart your throat to throat belly to belly your faces are close together ideally forehead to forehead all right so when you enter the posture when you get into yabya make sure you're both comfortable and supported if you are not as flexible in the hamstrings and you find that your knees are uh, above your hips then lift the hips up so that you're quite comfortable and then your knees can fall below the hips and you can have a long spine if you're if you're in the masculine position you can use cushions or blankets in any way for extra comfort under the knees whatever against the back and then once you're both settled place your right hand on your partner's heart chakra at the center of the chest and let your partner do the same for you and then place your left hand on each other's lower back or sacrum so reach around and do that and you'll notice even that motion hand on the heart hand on the sacrum has already created an energetic loop between the two of you now depending on the level of intimacy you're seeking to begin the practice you can either close your eyes or you can keep them slightly open and if they're slightly open then you're looking into each other's left eye so i look into your left eye you look into my left eye and creates another kind of loop so you start then breathing you take deep breaths on your own filling your lungs completely and exhaling fully while holding the hand and position and and being wrapped up and then after a few cycles of this you begin to synchronize your breathing so one partner inhales as the other exhales and vice versa it's called reciprocal breathing and it enhances the feeling of connection and unity it's almost like a wheel so if i breathe out my partner breathes my air in pulls it down through their body they breathe out i breathe their air in and we create this beautiful loop with this comes an energy visualization so as i breathe in i imagine drawing in divine healing energy from the universe i feel it enter and fill my body and as i breathe out i envision this energy flowing into my partner 
through the hand placed on their heart, and I imagine the energy circulating between the two of us, cleansing and healing and strengthening our bond. And I do this breathing posture for at least five minutes. My partner and I will continue this reciprocal breathing, focusing on the sensations that arise, the rhythm of the breaths, the warmth and connection with my partner. And then we might conclude that simple practice with a deep breath in and a deep breath out together and maybe a bow and or a shared embrace. And it's really not sexual when I talk about it this way in the sense of parts rubbing. It's really about the connection. So if you've never tried that with your partner, give it a shot. See what it's like. See if they're game to try just holding each other and breathing in this very specific way that's meant to align and enliven the chakras. Uh, That's meant to help Kundalini move through your beautiful, beautiful body. Uh, And then when you're ready, you can uh, find so many books on how to do that with intercourse, how to do that in different sexual positions, how to do that uh, with massage and other kinds of touch. Like how do you love on each other with full energy and full presence Uh, as if you weren't just your material body, but a deep spiritual being, because that is the truth of your existence. So Kundalini Tantra, alone or with another, and the high presencing of your spiritual self inside of your body. You are incarnate in the flesh for a reason, and it it is not to pretend the flesh is evil. It's not to pretend it's bad. It's to say, thank you for this joy. Thank you for this opportunity to experience so many things. I love life so much. I love being alive. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that, got something out of it. I want to point you to several other episodes that we've done on various aspects of Tantra, one with Sukadas, one with Adam Bauer, one with Lauren Searles. Uh, they all have different takes on it. And I'm going to put those in the show notes also if you want to go deeper. If you find yourself dealing with blockages, thinking about a sex and spirituality as a conjoined thing. I suggest God and Sex by Mark Whitwell. And I also suggest you go and check out uh, this guy, Jim Palmer, who is a former megachurch pastor who has really come to terms with some of the, mm, what's the word I want to say, the distortions of spirituality and sexuality that have led to um, incredible problems in the sort of evangelical community. But it's not unique to that community. Basically, if you're still dealing with core ideas that sex and God are separate or that sex is somehow shameful, it's going to be hard to access some of these freedom techniques in your body or with your partner. So you can also look at some of the episodes we did on uh, shame and uh, religious shame in women the collective trauma of religious shame in women. Uh, Your body is nature is another good episode if this is a topic that interests you. As you know, it interests me. Uh, At Rosebud Woman, the company that I started to drive more love for oneself and one's body throughout the life stages, including perimenopause and menopause, basically leading with 
beautiful, intimate care products and body care products, but surrounding that with a lot of education and inspirational content to stand both in our softness and in our strength our whole lives long. That company is at rosewoman.com. There's tons of good written content over there as well, in addition to the podcast. And you can use my code, Christine10, to get 10% off. Uh, rewards people who are listening to the show. And then you can find my gummies, uh, kava gummies for relaxation, for muscle tension, inflammation, kana gummies for heart opening. I call them date night gummies. And copybine, which is unpotentiated ayahuasca, for clarity, for dreaming. You can find all those things at radiantfarms.us. And I hope you give our products a shout. Give them a try if you're not already using them. And share the episode if you liked it. Share the products if you like it. If you would be interested, if you're already a frequent listener or a frequent customer, and you would be interested in becoming an affiliate and telling others about the products you love, please reach out to me. See you soon. Remember you are beautiful and whole and complete. And all we're doing is restoring our natural health and perfection. Perfection.